A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. Today we have read in Iron Gold by Pierce Brown through chapter 24. If you are in the hardcover book like I am, that's up until page 222. Easy to remember. 222. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. You know what, Crossland? I am in a great mood right now. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> I am. I'm done with class. I have nothing going on tomorrow. So I'm just going to sit and talk about this book, which is crazy fun and not have to worry about waking up in the morning so you've got me focused and ready and rearing to go so good it's the summer of iron gold and then like kind of dark age for a part of it and then it becomes the fall of dark age after that almost the winter of dark age we're reading that book for like three months so anyway very very exciting i want to i want to say something just here right off the bat i think it was the previous episode that i accidentally said was our first episode on iron gold when it was our third was that episode three that was was last episode last week's yeah okay I, I just like in in the back of my head you brought it up to me you're like crossland you said it was the first episode and i was like oh no that's very wrong <laughs> yep i uh i was editing it and i just had to stop and go cross you idiot <laughs> look what you said like literally four minutes in or whatever like just and there's bad. No, not even there's no way to cut around it like no. it's in the middle of the sentence <laughs> you spoke so quickly you couldn't cut oh. it Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's so bad. So today is our fourth episode covering Iron Gold by Pierce Brown. And we're just going to talk about today about chapters 19 through 24. Like BJ said in the intro, uh, you've got your page counts, everything like that. But before we do that, let's talk about what we're drinking. What are you having? I've got a cocktail called Between the Sheets. It is one ounce of Hennessy. I used Hennessy VS. Very special. (laughs) One ounce of plantation five-year rum, one ounce of Cointreau, half an ounce of lemon juice, and then shaken and served with a lemon peel. And I added a maraschino cherry because I have them and I don't know what to do with all of them. (laughs) So (laughs) I've just been like egregiously adding maraschino cherries to all my cocktails because I don't know what to do with all these fucking cherries in my fridge. That's pretty funny. Sidebar story about maraschino cherries. My mom loved them as a kid. Grandpa was like, well, if you love them, like, and she really wanted a lot of them. And so my grandpa was like, okay, and bought her a fucking like commercial vat of maraschino cherries. And one day she ate all of them and has not looked at them since. Oh, and so no. I, yeah, right. Like when she was a kid. Anyway, to me, that's just horrifying, horrifying. Anytime someone says maraschino cherry, I can't help but think of that. But I've avoided buying maraschino cherries because I, I know that they're just going to sit there and I'm going to stare at them and be like, what do I do with you? <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've avoided them. Um, that, that's kind of the reason why I go for the sort of smaller bottle or smaller jars of them a little bit higher end i think these are technically like bourbon barrel aged cherries so like 
I'm not, I don't have a giant tub of maraschino cherries sitting around. <laughs> They're not as sweet, which is nice and yeah. a little bit better. And I, I feel bad about eating a shit ton of them. So they're, it's okay that they're sitting in the fridge a little bit. Strange, strange way to justify buying something I barely ever use. My like basic cocktail book from America's Test Kitchen, which I'd highly recommend to anyone who's looking for, you know, an intro into making cocktails and everything associated with cocktails. It's it's very much an instructional on syrups and how to make your own spirits even at a, at a very basic form, you know, basically aging and refining spirits yourself, not actually creating vodka or anything like that. But it does a very good job of explaining how to make cocktail onions and maraschino cherries. So I've yet to do that, but I definitely plan on it for the reason that I don't need to have a vat around and I can have a tiny amount like that. Although your cherries sound better than whatever cherries I will inevitably fuck up. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll send you the picture of what I've got. Nice. Nice. We'll talk about our beer in a second. I mm-hmm. am having a lemon tequila spritzer. So I'd originally set out to make a an old fashioned, which is a normal thing that we have on the show pretty frequently. I ran out of sugar last time and I forgot about it. I didn't have enough time, even though I went out and bought the bourbon. I didn't realize I was out out of sugar until it was way too late. And so I looked around my fridge and I was like, oh, I have the perfect shit for a lemon tequila spritzer. So not only did I make a lemon tequila spritzer, but I also recorded a video of building it top down. We'll see how it turns out if uh, if it actually comes out or not. But starting to practice with this format a little bit. And I can tell you it's a lot of fun. I had a good time soaring at the camera while I was trying to peel the lemon for garnish <laughs> prolonged eye contact with a lemon in your hand seems <laughs> right like on a top par down for video. you you, you don't yes. you don't actually see me staring at the lemon but that would be <laughs> that would be the move <laughs> so my my drink it's pretty straightforward it's one part lemon juice two parts tequila two parts club soda bitters ice and a lemon peel garnish so it's it, easy very refreshing you could add a little bit of sugar if you had some i would actually probably recommend a dash not not a whole lot, but just a little bit. Simple syrup would be preferred, of course, but just a little something to sweeten this up would not be bad. But okay. yeah, it's good. Nice. I guess you could probably just do it with Sprite instead of the club soda. True. Yes, you could just swap out the Sprite. Although I think that might be hmm. my club soda is a little bit flat, so it's actually kind of nice because it's not overly carbonated. So okay, there you go. I don't know. Sprite might be Sprite might be so carbonated. So the beer that we're having today is another one from our boy Logan slash Zeph. So PJ, what are we drinking? We are doing a smoked Hellas lager called Blonde Fire from Ennegrin Brewing Company out of Moor Park, California. Looks nice. It seems like they do a lot of traditional German styles. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to give this give this a try. I like Hellas lagers and I like experimenting with smoked beers every once in a while. So we'll see. Dude, it tastes like fucking barbecue. Ooh, let me see. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to You got to give it a sip. Ooh, that is very smoky. It is. It is super smoky in the right way. You know, it's not char. It's it doesn't taste like charcoal. It tastes like really good bark on a yeah. brisket, which is crazy yeah. to like say this when I haven't had brisket in so fucking long. And I just look at some <laughs> photos and I like want to shit myself because I want that brisket so bad. This tastes like that bark. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is this is intense. It's a lot of a lot of smoke. So if you're a fan of smoke, fan of smoked meats, this will probably be up your alley a little bit. Yeah, like, I love it. Like I think he said meat. this was his one of his favorites in the I think batch. so. Yeah. For good reason. This is is really fucking good. I mean, it fucking makes sense. I bet he just like douses his shit in this. You know? I, mm, I, I, I don't doubt know about it. that. I doubt it. But like, <laughs> you, you, you'd think. Um, 
He could. He could. He if nurses he himself to. to sleep with this, so that he's living, breathing the fire of the the smoker the every day. Cool. So with that, we'll move into last week's predictions. So running through these real quick, who was the girl Lysander rescued, and why was she heading to that asteroid? You said. I said it was the daughter of someone we know. Not sure who yet. I am correct. This <laughs> is the most. It's the most vague correct you've ever had on the show. <laughs> PJ's just moving to vaguer and vaguer answers since I gave him very vague questions, which is yeah. fine. That's a pretty specific right. question. I just, you let me answer vaguely, so I did, and I'm reaping the benefits. Drink, motherfucker. That's fine. I drank. I drank. So we don't know that one. What's next for Lyria? You said uh, trip to Luna, time to discuss with Kavix about the Sovereign, the Rising, and everything else that she perceives as lies told to her. Which, we just kind of skipped all that. We just went yeah. straight into into Luna. Yep. So, now she picks up Fox shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, basically, all of this actually pretty much happened. I mean, not, not like the lies component of this, but the trip to Luna and everything else. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll drink for you for that one. I drank too. I assumed mm-hmm. I was wrong. You kind of are, but that's fair. I will. I'll, we'll, we'll call it a pass. And then the final question: Who's abducting Cassius and Lysander? Bounty hunters searching for the gold they rescued, which isn't necessarily entirely. You're wrong. so fucking wrong. You're not getting that one. <laughs> <laughs> you do not get that one. You're saying Pandora isn't a bounty hunter hired to find her. No, she's she's most accurately compared to a police cop. Dog the Bounty Hunter is basically a police cop. <laughs> is he, though? <laughs> he acts mm. with authority and people listen to him sometimes. <laughs> OK, with That's that, exactly what a cop you is. drink, <laughs> you drink. All right, fine. <laughs> And now we'll get into the chapters. So this week we start off with Ephraim, chapter 19, Pernod, which is an alcoholic beverage that you can just buy. You could definitely just buy it and drink it if you'd like. It's it's a it's a weird one. I've never had it myself, but looking at it, we, we were trying to track it down, but we were not able to track it down in time for the show. At least I wasn't inside of my area. I live in a North Carolina has some interesting liquor laws that make it very difficult to find weird things. Because people don't stock the liquor stores themselves. The government does. So, you know, they don't buy the weird shit. So I wasn't able to track it down in time, but I have definitely seen it before. And you can pretty quickly assume based on the description that Ephraim gives that it kind of tastes like licorice. So, yeah, that seems to be a recurring theme. I'm guessing (laughs) the next liquor that he has is going to be absinthe because that also tastes like black licorice. Pernod is technically an absinthe. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Yeah. So that's that's why it tastes like licorice is because it is an absinthe. Mm -hmm. It is a legal absinthe in the United States, which means it's not real absinthe. I think I think absinthe has been like any any sort of embargoes on it have been lifted. Not if it was made with wormwood. Which is the traditional hallucinogenic. But it's not actually hallucinogenic, though. Well, like I said, it's traditional scare tactic and marketing scheme. That they leaned into themselves. I feel like it's still proper absinthe is still illegal. There's some brand that you can't get in the United States. And maybe it's not because of the embargo. Maybe it's something else silly. But I recall there being something funky about it. We should ask Natalie. She knows she knows all about absinthe. Getting into the chapters. I love the special detail given to the paintings through Ephraim's eye. It's a really nice thing to kind of paint scenes with these actual frozen 
stills of artists that have long passed. You know, he's reflecting on art from a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, sometimes for his rough mm-hmm. timing. It, it's just funny that Pierce kind of picked it up and put it in the mix and decided to make it a character trait for Ephraim. Yeah, I think at the same time, obviously there's character building, but it's definitely world building as well. It keeps us rooted in the idea that this is in our universe, but in the future by several centuries. So I like the way that it brought me back into reality with it within the story. And specifically using the persistence of memory being that it's such a well-known, well-documented Dali photo. You can you can kind of photo? get he can kind of like art. <laughs> what it. kind of world did Dali live in when that was a photograph? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, no, it's such a, such a well-known painting that a, a lot of people know what it is, even if they don't immediately. So after getting just a brief description, it's easy to imagine it in your mind's eye. It's yeah. taught in just about every single art class growing up in middle school and high school. Yeah. Even just the term warped clock probably tips people off of it. I'd be curious if Google picks up warped clock and turns it into sure it the persistence of memory. It's it's very good. So from there, of course, we know that we're in Ephraim's apartment and he's gathered his crew. And I think the dialogue early on here is just fantastic. I really like Syrah and Dano's kind of varying perspectives. Syrah needing to be like muted with a volad- or Zolodone, basically, and like Ephraim totally understands that that's how he can control her part of the narrative is a is a good component but her like initial kind of stinginess to the whole deal being afraid of the idea of going on this adventure dano being like yeah yeah no like strippers man and (laughs) and then volga Olga is just her her dialogue about what she wants to do with her money is absolutely adorable and what she does with her money i just uh, adorable is the word (laughs) adorable is true but it's still it makes me really wonder how how intelligent or simple she is truly it's fair it makes me think that she truly is more of a childlike mind in a fucking brute of a body That's that's kind of fair. A question that I might pose back is if we take into consideration some of the cultural norms of obsidians that were kind of foisted upon them being shoveled into this this new system. It is kind of interesting because I it almost feels like she has a sense of awe about everything that she does and even like the drinks that she enjoys and kind of it might be simple by ours and Ephraim's definition but it feels like she's probably better adjusted than a significant number of obsidians even most of them that we've met i mean wolfgar is perhaps the best adjusted of anyone that's yeah that's probably he was he was a stained previously so he kind of knew at the very least what was going on around him i mean there's sefi i guess sefi isn't necessarily super in tune with the society as a whole but she wasn't intelligent yeah comparatively quiet means wise pj does it it does but they said that in morningstar there's a lot to be said about volga i think that you know we don't get a whole lot of answers about her but i at the very least she's fucking adorable right like just oh, yeah so, for sure so good certainly yeah. certainly certainly the way that Ephraim, as we'd kind of already talked about pulls on dano and sira's strings to get them in by their bank accounts is just excellent i love the line but new money all shops the same it's just a wondrous piece of dialogue that points to the paycheck by paycheck lifestyle that most of his crew lives by but as we mentioned before volga is different the the little dialogue about what she wants to do with her money as mentioned is adorable you really like using that term with her 
She is a giant silverback gorilla of a person. I'm just waiting to rip somebody's head off. She's a short one, though. She's only like 6'8", right? (laughs) 6'6", something like that? I can't remember. Fair. But I (laughs) I did love the description of what she actually does with all of her money, and her splurging is going to the zoo on the off hours so it's cheaper. <laughs> in particular, Ephraim like calling her out and being like, "Oh no, you go to the zoo! What a deplorable you are!" <laughs> Effectively, yeah. is just so so funny, and then she's like shamed by the whole thing. <laughs> See, this is like this I is know. the simple. This is the simple part. She didn't have zoos where <laughs> on the poles. Like it was no it was the, just ice. The not being able to pick up on any sort of sarcasm or understanding of what she's actually spending money on even though she understands that she's saving money for a zoo or for a animal sanctuary you know something that's like worth commenting on is now thinking back i don't know if any of most of the obsidians read like drax to me in the way that they probably just don't get sarcasm i can't think of any other moments where it might have been directly employed where someone understands i feel like even several ragnar several several but the first time that they interacted for sure not but after he was kind of in and around a little bit it was better yeah that's fair you know like kind of adjusted to it so i guess i i still think there's like obviously some cultural adjustment that needs to happen with obsidians for it to make sense for them to make sense inside of society and i think that she's an interesting lens to like see that through but i'm with you at this point it's like ah yes you you could be smart volga we don't really know but you're definitely not street smart in the conventional ways (laughs) like not not economically literate (laughs) like i don't know lifestyle literate to be weird literate with her knuckles yes very very literate with her knuckles it's uh, it's funny. I and also just getting back to the line, but new money almost drops the same. Like Sira's habits are interesting, and having those like shoved back in her face are good. Dano like openly admitting like, you know, I've definitely have a problem with strippers. And Ephraim, I feel like is kind of he's. I can't tell. Can you tell? Is he lying about what he does with his money? Do you think that he actually goes and bets at all? Or I hadn't considered that, but I think you're probably right. I think it's him holding back a little bit. I don't think he necessarily has the money. I think he's probably sending it somewhere to someone, Mm. maybe. But I think he just uses the degenerate gambling as an excuse and as a reason for not having the money on him. If true, that would be great for his character. And I think that that would kind of fit some of the like emotional leanings. Like this entire scene is only happening because really he cares about his crew and he doesn't want him to die at the same time that like he also they have to do the job. So they're like interesting complex components there where he might actually care about something else fair point we kind of get an answer to what deep grave could be uh, it seems to have something to do with the sea based on dano and cyrus kind of side conversation here yeah it, it still doesn't really give a whole lot of clarity to what it could be but it seems even more like a prison it's hard to believe that it's anything else kind of seems like space gitmo but if it has something to do with the sea how would it be space gitmo would- I mean, it's in the sea. I don't know. Ah, okay. Okay. You're saying like future Gitmo. Future. Future is probably the better way to put it. Because is right. it on Earth? It might be on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that would that would be interesting. It would. It might just be Gitmo, PJ. <laughs> like the if it actually takes, like it's, it's the Guantanamo Bay facility just reused. It just is Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> Uh oh, 
Ephraim's little smile at the end of the chapter when he knows he's won everyone over is a fantastic way to have Ephraim exit this first part of this book. Finally, kind of like cracking a smile and opening up and having this like wide eyed grin as he, you know, continues. It's it's a good moment. Yeah, I there, there are a few reasons why that smile could come across, though, and it's not necessarily clear why. I think one possibility is just his genuine happiness in convincing his team to join him. But there's also sort of a piece that might be coming with certain death that he's uh, he's going to die to the job itself, not to being tortured by the Duke of Hands for not getting his team on board. I don't know. I don't know what they would actually do to him if if they didn't agree to come. They'd probably just kill his team and make him do it alone. But there's some happiness there either way. Yeah, that's that's really good point. You know, the the idea that like he could totally be happy just because like the team is finally going along with him and agreeing something I hadn't considered before. Good stuff, PJ. Good work. Thank you. We'll see how it goes. Was that condescending enough for you? Well, you've read the book, so if you hadn't considered it, (laughs) (laughs) doesn't doesn't bode well for my guess. (laughs) Well, you do point out things that I haven't noticed before. That's totally real. It's not as though I'm a perfect guru. I'm pretty good. I've been through this a couple of times, but every once in a while, you point out something and I'm like, huh, that's a good point. He is kind of looking at it both ways. He could be looking at it either way. Yeah, there's a number of things like that. I feel like every time I've said something like that, though, I've also said, is that condescending enough for you after saying good take, PJ? Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Now I feel like an ass, but here we are. Well, at least everyone else gets to see it, too. (laughs) True. Chapter 20, Lysander dragons i kind of wanted it to be named here there be dragons but dragons is good enough i guess there's a lot in this chapter that happens one of my favorite things is how quickly lysander seems to have internalized his mistake regarding the gold and is already dealing with it as he moves forward already surrounded by the consequences of his actions it also points to something interesting in him he isn't as in love with gold society as maybe we first thought or maybe even cassius thought yeah but at the same time he's not not in love with it he's constantly referencing like the compact and all of his teachings from his grandmother which to be fair a lot of times it just applies to life in general not just life in the in the society or gold society specifically but it doesn't seem like he's completely disillusioned with what gold is or was he seems to be at least embracing it a little bit sometimes yeah yeah i think that that's a great point i think that he's struggling with that because even a little bit later in the chapter he kind of comes back and says like well at the very least they hold up some things right he's he talks about i think like diomedes showing up and being labeled the fear knight right it's like my little boyish heart skips a beat when i hear about the fear knight or something like storm knight i think storm knight you're right yeah Kind of fits the cool before before we continue. I just wanted to circle back to the title dragons is the raw family. Like, is their crest a dragon? Yes. Okay, that makes sense then. Yes, their family crest is, in fact, a dragon. Does that mean dragons existed? Have there other carved dragons? I think that I think there are. I think they talked about it when they were on the pole when Ragnar died. Just as backstory, talking about the terrors of the poles, I think dragons were mentioned. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did talk about that in Morningstar. The question is, is how like how real are they? Or were they additional legends? But I would go so far as to agree with you and say that dragons are probably real. 
carved things. They've carved everything else. Why not carve dragons, too? They carved the fucking Kuan, which is terrifying. It's fucking like, awesome. Oh, my Holy gosh. Shit. Wow. It, it is like literally something that feels ripped out of like a horror novel to some degree. And it just freaks me the fuck out. All this new world building that Pierce is able to like add and wrapped in now, now that he's, you know, gotten a couple of books underneath him and kind of has an understanding, just making all these little details stand out also fills out the first series in a way. Like now that we kind of know a little bit more and we get some of these colorings of like what a police force might have around them, it starts to kind of backfill our catalog of imagining scenes too. It also proves that he's better than me at naming stuff because I probably would have gone with Bug Doggy. And it's definitely not a scary sounding <laughs> bug doggy. The compound eyes, the like gray or the black chitinous underbelly, like it is. Oh, all... you go with chitinous. <laughs> I do. I go with chitinous. Chitinous. It is. It. I think it is chitinous, but I definitely just said chitinous. I've heard um, both. I, yeah. I don't know what's correct. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure you're right on that one. But yeah, okay. like just the, the sort of like breathing, like underbelly as it like flexes. Clearly, you can just imagine it like snarling at something. I don't. I don't fucking no. Fuck this. Get out of my brain. Nightmares. Like just, <laughs> dude. No. Mm-hmm. Then it eats the blue later. Like oh fuck. <laughs> after the leg gets blown apart oh my god the gore in this chapter pretty great it is great actually yeah no no question i also the like him calling out after that blue as mentioned the the line that follows a steel-toed boot disabuses me of my empathy is one of my favorite lines in this whole damn book it is so clever in a strange way like just the idea of like ah yes i was i was reminded that being empathetic i am just a piece of shit <laughs> like, it's just it's good i love it yeah i i had never heard the term disabuses before this hmm. and you pointed out the the good fact or the good note that um just that single word basically replaces an entire paragraph of description it's a perfect description <laughs> of getting the shit kicked out of you and and just like also shaping your ideas at the same time right exactly. so like it, kind of in combination disabusing someone of something is so so effective as a as a word so we we're also introduced to pandora of course and she is something else pandora pushing in lysander's eye makes me fucking squirm She kind of in general reminds me of the Internet and kind of gives me this vibe of the Resident Evil Village big step on me lady energy. She's (laughs) terrifying in that way, too, where it's like, yeah. So she's described during this chapter as an elite or maybe it's the next Lysander chapter. I can't remember. But she's described as one of the elite assassins of the Rim Society. Mm -hmm. It seems to. Seems she's more than just an assassin. She's a pretty good torturer and interrogator. Yeah, as a venerator, she's like head of a police force, effectively, in addition to obviously the head of this ship. And on top of that, one of the head assassins. So she feels kind of important. And on top of that, old as fuck. Old as fuck. Indeed. She is. She is very old. And they do. They do point that out. It, It makes it interesting because it feels like she's probably a trusted right hand of atlas to some degree not not atlas sorry romulus Romulus. yeah Yeah. Uh, but the but the poke in the eye the poke in the eye dude like i just i can't with the eye poke 
The most unsettling part of that for me was the fact that she did it basically halfway through Lysander's sentence, just casually, callously, without emotion, just pushes her thumb into his eyeball. Uh, oh, oh, pretty, oh, gross. Oh. pretty gross. Pretty gross. <laughs> this entire chapter has a big gross out energy. All right, I'm done saying big. I'm done saying energy. <laughs> so we we are also introduced to both our mystery woman from the ship, as well as the aforementioned Storm Knight here, Diomedes and Seraphina, the children of the Sovereign of the Rim, Romulus Ow Raw. We talked about her all the way back in episode six of Morningstar. She was there. She was a little kid that was running around with Darrow that they were talking that she was talking with. Pretty fantastic little section, and to see her return is interesting. What what do you make of the pair, as well as what you know Serafina has done in this moment, breaking the Paxilium? So, first of all, can you explain to me what it means to break the Paxilium? To break the Pax Ilium would be to end the treaty between the Republic and the Rim, meaning that open war could happen. So by her crossing over the border is what you mean by breaking the... Correct, correct. If if a Republic ship had noticed, she would have been breaking and would have breached the peace, and therefore the Rim could be sieged. That makes sense. As far as the rest of your question goes, I, I still don't really know how to read her. She's clearly terrified of Pandora, and I can't really tell if she's happy to be with Diomedes. It seems like a very strange homecoming, and I'm not sure if she wanted that to be the case or if she wanted to be gone. And realized when, when shit hit the fan that this is kind of her only chance. And that's why she gave up the name of the asteroid belt as a means of getting home. It does kind of have that sort of feeling to it. I definitely agree with you. I also would posit that Diomedes is reassuring, but not fully calming. Even to Lysander. Like his presence versus Pandora's presence is maybe falsely reassuring, as we learn later. But... At the very least, he's got a different assertiveness or presence about him that Pandora completely lacked. We also know that Pandora tortured some of her friends, Seraphina's friends. For yeah, what we know of Pandora, at least I think it's actually from a later chapter. The next chapter with Lysander is that when she gets to asking questions, they don't usually walk out of there alive afterwards. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. additionally unsettling. It, yeah, it's definitely unsettling. Not good. Not good. Any other reads on the kids? I mean, they're not children, but, you know, they're kids of Romulus. I think that's basically what I've got at this point, at least. It's hard to read. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Diomedes a little bit more when we get to that chapter. But yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. So chapter 21, the last of part one, there will be violence. Oh, it's a good name. It's a good it, chapter name. It's a good chapter name. It's a good fucking chapter all around. This is just a wild emotional roller coaster and has in my head one of the most harrowing moments of the book of the books that we've read so far. So like just yeah, crazy, crazy, it's crazy, up there. crazy. What do you make of Darren and Victor's conversation about Severo and the severity of what they face going forward? I think. That entire conversation makes total sense. Victra is absolutely somebody who would plead with Darrow to get him to keep Severo home, but they both know that that would never happen. 
even if Darrow was on her side. Do you think there's a world where they could prevent Severo from going? <laughs> or a world in which Severo would choose family over the war, unlike Darrow? I don't know. I, I think something tragic would have to have to happen with his kids while he's gone, and that would stop him from ever going again. But without something like that, I don't think he would choose not to go in any sort of situation. Definitely fair. I, and I think it's it's good to pause it on that. Mm-hmm. You keep using the word pause it. Yeah, I, dude, my brain gets hung up on words and then I just keep fucking, it, we, it was Gambit. It was Gambit back in fucking Golden Sun and you called me out on it or maybe it was Red Rising. You and Andrew both called me out on it and yep. here we are. Gambit was a lot. Last week we kept saying uh, Glean, or I kept saying Glean last episode. But yeah, I'll, I'll stop like, saying We, we get hung up on words. It happens. It's all good. Yeah. It's human nature verbal tics you know anyway getting back to victor and darrow and the sexy sexy mouth mouth kiss where she lingers on it (laughs) gets me curious about what's happening there it's a little bit more than just a friendly kiss it makes me think that they're probably swingers (laughs) and (laughs) what well okay hear me out clearly something's going on between victor and darrow here Something more than just a friendly peck on the cheek or something like that. Like a lingering mouth kiss. I don't think Darrow could ever cheat on Mustang without her immediately knowing because she reads him too well and she's too intelligent for that. And despite him like hiding who he was for an entire fucking book and a half, I don't think he's uh, that good of a liar, truly. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when it comes to Mustang. Very true. Very true. So I think they're swingers. I'm going with they're probably not swingers, but I do, man, this is, this is one of the few questions in my head that I feel like I would definitely ask Pierce in an interview. So the, the thing that I would kind of, that I would ask to him is this scene in particular feels like it kind of pays homage to something that could have been. And my question is, would there have ever been a different world or did you, when you were originally writing this plot out? a draft in which Victra ended up with Darrow. It almost feels like this line, this line almost feels like when I'm writing and thinking of kind of an outline or thinking of the future of whatever I'm putting down in the story, this might be something that, that I might initially plot, like losing Mustang and then having her become a villain, for instance, and then him falling in love with Victra instead in book two or book three or what have you. It feels like that would be something that I might plot, but I might not land on when you actually write. Because when you start to write, you're like, oh, no, that doesn't actually make sense in the way that this character is. So I, that's that's what I would ask. It's a complex, overlong question that would be answered with a yes or a no and maybe a brief explanation. But not a great question. But I mean, still. you could just say they swingers to <laughs> the same answer, probably. <laughs> if you extrapolated us (laughs) a little bit oh god but yeah i I mean it it does feel like it harkens to at the very least in darrow's brain harkens what the fuck what am i doing today (laughs) in in darrow's brain it 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 pulls on something else and it does feel like he he sees this different reality in which he might have ended up with victra and you know, she says, you know, he, one of the best friends, love, etc. That's how it goes. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all. Threatening to leave and never let him see her or her children again if she mm-hmm. doesn't bring Severo back. Which he is also the godfather. Oh, man. Godfather is fight. A, is this a parallel, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> is this pitting, the war of the godfathers? godfathers against each other? 
is the sequel series perhaps Godfathers fighting each other? This is Godfathers is the name. Godfather of Four. <laughs> darrow's rebellion i don't know anyway no that didn't work that's that subtitle is not good so the moment between father and son around the bike the the bike that pax has built is an absolutely fantastic one i told you this a little bit before but i was on a two-hour walk yesterday and i was listening to the audiobook i'd already read and constructed most of these notes but i i was just i was listening again to kind of refresh myself before we do the episode and this moment hit me so hard that i started crying at like an hour and 40 minutes into my walk while like listening to this moment because it's so it's so well crafted and heartfelt and crazy beautiful their ride together is also just so wonderful it just pulled on every single one of my heartstrings and tore a couple of them out this time how how do you feel about it i think the the coolest thing about this scene was we actually got to see some intelligence from pax we got to see it that he's grown into a person up until now, he's kind of been, oh, that's that's Darrow's baby. Even though we had the scene with the fighting, with the with the uh, dueling, he wasn't really, he didn't really talk during it. So this is the first time we really see Pax talk with his father and have emotions and have conversation. And he's able to tell that his dad is going to leave and he calls him out on it. And there, there's a lot that goes on between the two of them but this is the first time we've really seen where pax is an actual character with an actual personality which i thought was really cool to see yeah the the way that he like lights up when darrow's like well i don't know anything about that and like admits not knowing about the bikes and he talks about you know auntie victra lending him money so that he could go to the scrapyard and darrow's like well 60 percent interest 60 <laughs> percent interest baby and he asked him like how much how much did you borrow he was like 500 credits how much do you owe 1100 credits <laughs> <laughs> he's like victor is just trying to teach you auntie victor is just trying to teach you a lesson it's never never be in debt to someone it's a wonderful encapsulation and when darrow flips on the like teacher dad lens pax shuts down he knows to like ask pax giving him the key is what totally breaks me uh and then like this for us subsequently yeah yeah exactly it's just it's so it's so sad um Mm. in its own way we we also get a name of another arcos child dorian our arcos in here who's you know by it kind of feels like a, a friend or a proxy like proxy cousin to some degree which yeah. doesn't kind of make sense with i mean not with blood cousin of course but yeah yeah they're they're a close family so in the same mm-hmm. way you know with several and whatnot several and victor's kids so i was more going off of the fact that that's who raised mustang was that family so it actually feels like family for her in a in a much the, more meaningful way the telemonis is raised fuck it was the telemonis it's all good it's all good never mind um but it does it does feel like family for darrow because lorne was so important to darrow's actual like becoming a gold truly when you like reflect back and his life in general beyond the gold part yeah yeah he's clearly influential crazy though wonderful wonderful component it sucks that it ends on a somber note as he runs off saying he's never going to come back as pax runs off saying that darrow's never going to come back but shortly thereafter, Darrow runs into Mustang and they chat, chat about culpability and some questions that you had brought up earlier about their relationship. She doesn't say like verbatim what you said, but what is the point of this marriage if there's no faith between us? 
feels like it hits a lot of what you said on the head. Yeah, it feels you gotta like have it, faith in a swinging relationship. You can't just be Jesus Christ floating around. <laughs> you cut me off with that. <laughs> Fuck. Good, good work. <laughs> Man, I mean, yes, true, I guess. <laughs> but you, you'd previously spoken about like, why, why are they married? Like, it doesn't make any sense for for reasons, for many reasons. And you know, Mustang kind of directly points to those reasons. And I want to like just back up because obviously, in the moment, I, you know, when you come at something with such a strong opinion, part of my urge is just to not like tamper expectations a little bit but still like i didn't want to like completely turn you away from what you were saying you know for the audience and for me what what did i say <laughs> basically what what you <laughs> came out guess? and said what you had what you had came it wasn't really a guess you're like it wasn't a guess it was a commentary you basically had came out and said that darrow and mustang's relationship doesn't make any sense because darrow is constantly at war and they're more of like proxy threats to each other on accident via their positions than anything else like they're both inadvertently influencing each other's positions and we had basically we had basically came to terms and agreed that the best move would have been for darrow to have maybe proceeded with a war for a bit but then have retired and have been mustang's first man and to have handed off the reins to someone else unless it was absolutely necessary that it goes to war yep still still on board with that still agree with that and this kind of cements it yeah totally firms it up i i think what's so interesting and we've we've chatted at length about kind of the the fantasy chapter and the fantasy equation but i think that this one is kind of the the nail in the coffin to some degree for the fantasy wherein mustang's fantasy actually appears to be that darrow would give up the goat at some point and darrow's fantasy to some degree is that they would stay together despite everything like despite the distance and it starts to paint it in kind of a different way but then there's wolfgar mustang has uh, there called wolfgar. called the uh, the wardens and the arc warden himself to ensure that her husband doesn't break what they've built over the last decade but the reaper does what he does best Inspires rebellion and bloodshed, of course. I, thought, <laughs> I truly thought Mustang would be more ride or die. She's uh, <laughs> she's really it's a, it's a shame, truly. Well, there's there's a <laughs> there's a component that kind of is weird ride or die, though. Here, right? Like Mustang had to call them and tell them if she had an inkling and wanted to hang on to her position, right? Mm. Like, do you think this helps? her hang on to her position i think i think it does the fact that she called barely but like yeah i don't know i think it's it's better than her not calling right and then like darrow just gets away and they're like ah you clearly had something to do with it and the conspiracy theory hats and the vox populi chatter amongst themselves and they're gonna do that anyway dig themselves into a weird anti-vax conspiracy i think she should have gone with darrow it's not QAnon; it's xenon (laughs) She should have gone with Darrow, <laughs> left packs with Anti Victra. And uh, <laughs> Anti Victra, yeah. Mustang becomes the Reaper Part Two. I can't believe you didn't give Xenon more credit there. I just pulled that out of my ass and that, that was, was funny. Pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I I agree. There there's components of that that you're right with, of course. Like just leave her with Anti Victra. Mustang could have gone on the quest, you know, but Mustang has always been more useful as a political 
ally. I don't know if that's entirely the case. She's got chops. She's formidable, but she's always been better on the political side of things, even if she's just talking with someone that's, you know, her own form of politicking. That was her importance in the scene with Octavia. That's a good point. And you're right. She is better off being a politico. But look at you using the slang. It's the term. No, you're right. right. I just I didn't use the term a moment ago and you just whipped it out in front of me like big dick walking. (laughs) (laughs) What else do you expect from me, Crossland? (sighs) Fair point. (laughs) But (laughs) Derek. No, I don't have anything else to add. But Badero being specific is being very specific and careful not to kill anyone himself, which I think is interesting. He's trying kind of. I think it was the wrong move. I think he should have gone all out and just killed everyone from the start. It would have been faster if he had just killed Wolfgar right away. He probably wouldn't have had to even fight all the other wardens. Probably. But I don't think he wanted to kill Wolfgar. (laughs) That's the other part of this. All's fair in love and war. He clearly was shocked when he killed yeah. Wolfgar. That's the yeah, other part of this. Is like, to. to me, I think that's the worst part of this. Is like he's he's obviously he inspires the rebellion and the the two turn on the other ones, and he's just sitting there, kind of staring at it and like fighting everyone and being very careful not to kill anyone. And then he just like falls into a rhythm, kind of like Pierce Brown nurses us into the rhythm, and Tim Gerard Reynolds nursery rhymes us into the rhythm, and we're listening and we're enticed, we're enticed, and then we get to this moment where the blade has entered through his mouth and out the back of his skull blood spills down into his beard his teeth click against the metal and Ugh. fucking what <laughs> <laughs> click i will forever remember that and just imagine like a, a jaw with a spine freshly severed the nerve ending severed like just bouncing on top of the blade clicking against it will yeah. forever be an image locked in here I know that I said earlier, one of my favorite lines, this is another one, and it happens within the same fucking section of chapters. Like, what? Fuck, dude. Also, Darrow's pretty upset at himself, especially after he, like, pulls his blade out and, like, he's just gurgling there on the ground. Well, CPR, man. He didn't even try. (laughs) (laughs) He can't be that upset with himself. He doesn't even try to revive him. Oh, my God. (laughs) oh what a nightmare there's no way he's coming back um you don't know until you try crossland that's that's fair you and i both went through lifeguard training we know that even in lost causes you gotta just keep up with the cpr until the paramedics get there that that is what they say (laughs) just 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 yeah just gotta push on the on the corpse's chest cavity until somebody else says that they're dead just keep breaking ribs until someone official shows up (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) crossland and i were very good lifeguards i will i just want to say that out loud (laughs) We were also co-workers. We've never talked about that on air. Yeah. I forget about I w- that all the time. I would be the one to create the schedule and I would always just schedule Crossland and I together so we could <laughs> fuck around a little bit because it was great. It wasn't that busy of a pool. Yeah, it was, it was not crazy. There were only two of us. We could we would just sit across from each other or next to each other and chat yep. like this, but different. Anyway, less beer, more M&Ms. So, uh... <laughs> Man, the shame in those final moments and the reflection that Darrow has as well. What did I think would happen? He retorts to himself. 
as both his broken wife and child look on in horror as he flees. To me, oh my god, this chapter is just ups and downs and ups and downs. It's a fucking roller coaster. Call it the Tower of Terror and just get me the fuck off, please. There's a there's a pretty decent amount of finality to him leaving in this situation. There's obviously the comments from Pax saying that no you won't when when he said he'll be back. But there's also the comment right when he sees Pax walk into the house saying something along the lines of the last I see of him is his foot stepping through the door frame or something like that. Yeah, there and obviously he sees him again later in the chapter. But there's still there's still a bit of finality to that whole thing. So I'm I'm excited to see what next family Darrow starts and how quickly he falls in love with them and ruins their lives, too. Oh, no. So you're saying that Darrow is the dad that went out for cigarettes and never came back. (laughs) All right, guys, I just got to go kill the Ash Lord. Be back for dinner. (laughs) fuck <laughs> that's basically what mustang thinks of him too he's like you're just, she's just like you're just gonna end up dead somewhere and i'm not even gonna get to bury you like what the mm-hmm. fuck are you doing dude and that's where like for sure her her perspective becomes very clear on what she wanted out of the relationship and what she's not getting i do have to go back a little bit and the situation where he's running to the ship from like before the wardens show up or when the wardens are showing up and he's like running from his wife to the ship with his friend trying to drive away. (laughs) It just felt so, so much more juvenile than what's actually going on. It does. (laughs) And you know, the other, the other part of this, this chapter that's always like tickled me in a certain way is if Darrow would have been the cold hearted bastard that he pretends to be and kind of is at the beginning of this book. doesn't pretend to be, but mostly is he wouldn't have spent so much time with Pax in the garage and he would have never ran into Wolfgar. It would have never been a problem. I don't think he would have married Mustang. What? I don't, if if you, if he was truly as cold as he pretends to be, I don't think he would have gone through the, with the marriage. I was talking about the scene. I think he he is as cold as he is because of the ten years that have happened. You okay, know, like he he became cold over the course of ten years. Now, like all of a sudden at the end of Morningstar, he was just a cold, rotten bastard. Well, he clearly doesn't have a relationship with his ten year old son, so he's been cold for at least most of the time when his son has been conscious. <laughs> Again, with the conscious children thing. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, don't they describe um, Lysander like learning things at different phases here? He like knew all the house, all the different houses names and like memorized things at like seven or something like that. This was in last chapter. I just wanted to point out the yeah, the sort of like intellect whipping that happens at a much younger age in the society versus ours. Yeah. Just wanted to make reference to that because I knew that that was a question. But I think he knew his entire his entire family lineage by seven or by five. And knew all yep. the major houses by seven or something like that. Yes, yes, all the lineages of the major houses by seven. That sounds right. Fucking so clearly, boring material as a child to have to learn about the lineages of other notable families in the area. Again, if you're just a pixie brat, super dr- you get like drugs and you get super fast podcasts, right? Like that's how Darrow learned it. Good point. <laughs> like maybe, probably not. I mean, in the case of a loon, but you know, maybe a fabii. Mm. Fuck the fabby eyes, you know? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) 
with that, we'll move into part two of the novel here. We we move into part two, Shadow. We open up with a quote from Lorne Al Arcos, a classic, of course. A fool pulls the leaves, a brute chops the trunk, a sage digs the roots. And I just want to ask, you know, how would you how do you measure this quote in terms of all of our characters that we have going into this next part? Well, clearly we've got Lyria, who is the fool pulling at the leaves, trying to understand some very, very complex shit that's affecting her life and really doesn't have the scope or the reason as to why she's she's just dealing with this is what's happening to me. So this is what I want to deal with. We've got Ephraim, who is very much sort of he he obviously has intelligence to him, but his his processes and his approach to things are pretty brute force. And then you've got Lysander, who's definitely more of the take the intelligent way out and strike at the core of whoever you're attacking. So that'd be more of the roots. And then Darrow's just kind of an amalgamation of all three of them. Yeah, yeah, I would I would definitely agree. I think that especially when you point at Darrow, Darrow is a fool pulling the leaves in terms of his close family relationships, a brute who chops the trunk in most everything that he does. But his overall plan is a sage plan in his mind to just go kill the Ash Lord and end what's left here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I agree with the other readings. I feel like it all it all ties together rather nicely. I was kind of surprised by how well that fit into everything thinking about that yeah it's a good quote it's, it's good it's a great quote good work there lorne i mean pierce i mean lorne <laughs> chapter 22 lysander and the chapter is io which is the third sister to eo <laughs> eo dio and io <laughs> yeah oh no oh no you know I mean, we we know that it's it's a Jupiter moon, of course. It's a gal. It's considered one of the four Galilean moons. It's a part of the Ilium, which is what they want to call themselves, as opposed to oh, just fucking moonies, moon lords. Like <laughs> they don't want to be referred to that. It's interesting from from that perspective. The description that Pierce gives right off the bat here has told us more in a paragraph about this moon than he did in 10 pages about the mines and red rising. The the reason that I want to point this out is because if it hasn't become abundantly clear that he's completely shed that first book stumbles, I I don't know what to tell you as like a reader, as a listener or anything at this point, not you specifically, but anyone else listening. It's just so clear that he grew so much and found out how to give a crazy amount of information, world building in very little space. Yeah, he's definitely a lot more confident in his own in his own world, I guess. He doesn't feel the need to over describe everything that's happening. He just he understands what can be understood from subtext and what needs to be spelled out. And he's a lot more judicial about that and describes things so well as a result. Did I say judicial or judicious? Holy fuck, how can I not speak you right just, now? You judicial just like versus judicious. I think you said judicial. Okay, I meant judicious. There judicious. Go. Yeah, good work. Good work. <clears throat> Especially hard when uh, when you have forced alcohol mush mouth. You know, it's, yeah. it's good. I blame you. Specifically, obviously, like, the, yes, thank you for blaming me. Specifically, like, the pockets of the, the like, biomes that everything grows in and the idea that, like, the Moonies don't change anything because they don't have to. Uh, and they they're just like adapt and live with it because they knew that like there was no way that they were going to tame this beast. And there's just so much 
so much that's well put inside of this little section that makes io fascinating and you know we get to see io up close at the end of this chapter which is lysander does kind of terrifying <laughs> it is it, it's a harsh environment i'll say that without question the next section that i want to talk about is the quote a new wound can take a body opening an old one can claim a soul and my god what a line from octavia in the back of in the back of lysander's mind it's both horrifying when used as a weapon against someone and also terrifying to contemplate personally or you know in any kind of selfish manner for other people as you can clearly tell that people are so can be so consumed by something that happened to them at one point that it takes over takes over their body and to remind them of whatever that is lysander is clearly playing at that the idea that maybe he can get back at him in that way but it's just fucking brilliant dude it's a great line and it it rings true there's always going to be pain that can be inflicted on somebody but really kind of calling out the things that they maybe are insecure about or past failures that they haven't gotten over and just cutting open those wounds is a special kind of torture i guess not torture special kind of attack towards somebody can be used tactically in a really really good way Uh, so what do you make of pandora's water torture just the the fact that she doesn't give them water (laughs) or gives them so little water yeah that they're like licking their dry teeth and like the feels like marble and sandpaper and whatever else it's just and they have to the water that they do get they have to drink through like a muzzle which seems impossible (laughs) but also the fact i think the the craziest fact about this section is that they've been held captive for 34 days oh yeah (laughs) which is just so long that's such a long time they've been tortured and being flown out on the rim for a fucking long time this is i guess we don't necessarily know if they've been tortured we know that they get water not a lot of it but they get some and there hasn't been any other mention of torture until what happens in a few lines yeah i i mean i think the the big the big note on the torture is obviously the reason that they aren't going through a whole ton of torture is because of diomedes and his presence so the reason that it's only the water torture is because perhaps diomedes wouldn't react so poorly to that you know i do find it interesting that when diomedes enters the room and he tells uh bollocks to give him bollocks right like it's it's literally bollocks right no, there's a V in there. Is there Bolov? A... I thought it was Bolov. Oh, Bol- Maybe it's Bolov. Bolov, yeah. Bollocks would have been better, but Bol- Bolov is good. <laughs> when Bolov like refuses to give him water and Diomedes walks in, it's it's a great moment for the two of them because I think that it also shows like that Diomedes clearly has a I wouldn't call it compassionate side, but has at the very least some kind of human decency like it kind of reminds me of the same thing that cassius did in morning star when he you know dressed darrow he's like no no no, dude <laughs> here's some clothes to um, me it seemed more good cop bad cop kind of hmm. deal okay who's the like, good cop here diomedes diomedes you, you think diomedes is the good cop that drops the dude giving him water fucking- Oh, okay. On the waterfront, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like he drops him out of the fucking bottom of the it's ship. It's a fun experience. 
<laughs> it's bungee jumping. <laughs> People pay for this shit. Yeah, it's. Oh, and you're saying you don't want to do it for free? Okay. How? I how stuck up stuck of up. you, <laughs> Caster? Caster out, Janice. What a what a fucking dude. What a what a dude. Man, so we've already we've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but what did you what did you make of Diomedes dropping him out of the airlock? And what do you what opinions do you have on the new rim? It's a, it's a pretty brutal move. <laughs> <laughs> I really I liked the the action. I liked the show of force and also just the real sudden description of the horrors that they would face just by going onto this planet without an oxygen regulator. Like you, yeah. you get you get the, the lads. you get the upfront view of it pretty quickly. Yeah, I thought it was it, cool. I thought it was interesting. It feels, and I was terrified of the man. <laughs> oh, without a doubt, it feels like a cross section between Borderlands, Mad Max, and like Alien in the same moment. Yeah, where like you're like flying low over the ground, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, fucking look at this!" <laughs> and just drops him out of the bottom and whips up, and he's still tied there. It's it's fucking. Mm-hmm. Gnarly. What did he say? Something along the lines of "I don't have an os- or an oxygen breather." No, you don't drop. Yeah, yeah. Diomedes is just, especially his read on Lysander being like, "Ah, yes, you are. You do behave like a child and act like a child." Like Cassius, your brother said. Cassius has a name in here. I do not remember what it is. Uh, Regulus. Uh, Regulus. Regulus. Yeah, sounds right. Something like that. Yeah. Aljanus and which man to point that out. It's revealed that that's his name here. There is a point earlier in the book where I thought Regulus was like Regulus, Regius, whatever his actual title or his name is. I thought it was another form of Dominus when Mm. said as equals because Lysander uses that term when talking to him early on, but it sounded like a title rather than a name. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's when they're in the Vindabonda now that you say that. I totally, totally spaced on that. For some reason, I thought this is where that gets introduced, but you're entirely correct. It's introduced earlier. Yeah, I just assumed it was a title. But speaking of this section, there's the comment on the lesson that the Fabii learned. And in the first read through, I thought, like, he never got dropped out of a ship. But I think it's (laughs) I think it's more talking about the ruthlessness of the rim lords when they're crossed and lied to yeah it's a good point i mean man the rim lords are nothing if not the embodiment of the stoic modern stoic philosophy and you know obviously that's very apparent lauren's choice to live out here among kind of the iliamites it's it's just it comes across especially from diomedes in that moment and in talking about his family lineage and the history oh mm-hmm. i fucking love the rim I am one of two I'm people excited. in the Sons of Aries Discord that has the roll tag that is associated with the Rim Dominion. I'm one of the two Rim Lords. Good. There this you go. is the only context in which being a Rim Lord is a good thing and not a weird sex thing. <laughs> it still is. Fair. I know you too well. <laughs> <laughs> all right with that chapter 23 lyria Foxwalker. so this chapter to me is just a joy compared to everything else that we've been going through it's just <laughs> fun like mostly i mean the the mostly. worst thing that happens is like a gray sees lyria but everything else is pretty good oh gray um, 
a gray yeah well two grays technically (laughs) okay there's the actual run-in with holiday and then there's the like red and gray that are arguing that you know she witnesses but they don't she doesn't hear anything no right right it's nothing nothing meaningful just enough to scare her no i'm i'm assuming it's a jam field though because she hears like a pop and then sees them arguing but can't hear anything seemingly by magic no yeah i assumed it was a a jam field or whatever why would someone use a jam field i don't know seems weird huh <laughs> i mean you can <laughs> you you're trying thoughts. to lead me to questions i'm leading you to questions crossland <laughs> <laughs> you know it's one of those things where it's like if you see something i'm not gonna i'm not gonna push you in a direction but you know it's eh, okay okay what do you mean okay no, Does, it's good. doesn't it say like she hears a pop and then seemingly, she like, seemingly by magic she can't hear what they're saying but sees them fighting correct correct yes it seems like what else would that be other than the very specific piece of technology that we're very familiar with from the first book agreed agreed it's definitely a jam field no question so yeah Hmm. they're gonna steal (laughs) sophocles oh oh that would be that'd be frightening is is that what ephraim's after (laughs) oh there we go uh funny but most of this chapter i mean it's called fox walker it really is just explaining you know lyria's life at this point and to me this chapter almost feels like a nice life update diary <laughs> with some <laughs> really notes does. about a particularly squirrely fox and how it shits in it <laughs> <laughs> and the Le- pretty birds that it likes to eat yeah the pocketbells <laughs> just which is it's interesting that they're described as Pachelbel's because you would assume with a name like a Pachelbel, it probably like sings Pachelbel's Canyon, right? I mean, what doesn't, right? Something like that. Yeah, fair point. We we all do. Green Day does. Everyone does. Everyone. Green Day does it. Everyone does it. Liam's in school. She's doing very well. Cavex is actively taking an interest in her. All is well for Lyria for the first time since this fucking book started. <laughs> Even she's like living in a bunk and she's like, but it's got AC, <laughs> which is great. And I'm not walking in mud. <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, your bar for life was so terrible inside of the refugee camp. And it just kind of, it gives her it gives her a good color and getting this kind of re- nice relief moment with her yeah. feels deserved. Yeah, there's definitely still some negative feelings, feeling like an outsider, and she doesn't feel like she fits in yet, but at least she's not in a refugee camp anymore. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. She's finally kind of coming out on her own. Mm-hmm. So Lyria's take on meeting Holiday is interesting and provides another side to Holiday as well. The way we know that like a lot of colors we've met react and feel about the Howlers, that they're this very like intimidating force to all of them i think is really interesting it's kind of by design right they're basically the right. the boogeymen of the army they're the ghost stories they're the terrifying strike force under the reaper mm-hmm. i think it makes sense to embody terrifying presences without a doubt without a doubt that definitely makes sense hmm. yeah and i mean in particular i the reason that i call it out as interesting is that we get 
we get these other reads on her specifically. We we see her from everyone but Lysander's perspective so far inside of this novel. So everyone has met Holiday, and she's kind of an interesting lens through to view the three characters kind of opinions of her. Like Darrow looks at her, you know, at, as a as a subordinate, but an important member of the Howlers. Um it, Trig is kind of on the level with her and then Lyria is kind of looking up at her does this make her the main character though well what do you think pj yeah. could there be a secret fifth point of view could there maybe no, be eight no. point of views it's still four points of views but the main character we don't get we don't get to be in her head yeah perhaps <laughs> the new meta in book writing is to write around the main character yep the valets said you're you're mad as a sack of cats. All of the shit that Lyria says to the doctor under her breath is fucking hilarious. Yeah. It's it's unfiltered just what you'd really want to say to the guy mm-hmm. and knowing that he'll never hear you. It's great. I, I mean, what, these what? insults are like, yeah, what, what, <laughs> what, what? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't make it through this section without totally just laughing, but it's it's fantastic, man. Doctor, the doctor here is just fantastic. Zivago, right? I don't remember. Like page two twelve. Liago, it's Doctor Liago. Yeah, he's man. Iago, he's, which that's the parrot played by uh, Gilbert Gottfried, I believe. What 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 what? Are you threatening me? That's. <laughs> that's <laughs> the voice line for the goblin blimps in uh warcraft 3 for the record they go what what are you threatening me because <laughs> they can't hear you because they're in the fucking sky and they're screaming yep. down at you it's great yep. moving on <laughs> what do you make of the doctor and the night lily dude it's a plant weapon he's like a, a druid carver <laughs> we've seen a lot of like animal carvings and humanity carvings but we haven't really seen much with plants yet, and this is super fucking cool. He's a yellow, is he not? Maybe. I think that maybe sounds she, right. Maybe she doesn't recognize the color. Yeah, yeah he's an old yellow. Maybe 70. I, I mean, I agree with you, though, on the Druid Carver. I mean, it it gives an interesting layer to him, for sure. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, people... Colors now aren't trapped by their roles, necessarily, and so there's no reason he might not experiment and do other things, especially considering how old he is. Why not? We also find out something that I spoiled for you long ago. Yeah. Sophocles is a family clone of a fox and likely one of the oldest creatures in the entire solar system. It's pretty fucking cool. Pretty cool. 700 years that puts him. Would would Sophocles be alive today in that case? Are they in the 3000s? I don't think there's actually a firmly established Earth to this timeline. And I think Pierce partially does that because he wants to obfuscate technology a little bit. Okay. Advancements. I don't think there's a strictly AD to P. I think this is called PCE or post conquering era is the way that it's notated. But there's a I think rough, there is there's a rough, there's a rough idea of when the American Empire falls. Yes. When pre Empire America is. Something like that. And I just, I assume that America is going to collapse at any day now. So I assume that's the timeline. <laughs> yeah. The the biggest <laughs> 
in Morningstar, this is from the wiki. So again, we're going to cite this, but it you know, could be could be loose and vague. In Morningstar, while reference while mentioning the Roman era and its fashion for togas, Cassius and Darrow describe Roke as being born three thousand years too late. Depending on the reader's interpretation of the Roman era, this gives a timeline of two thousand five hundred or thirty five hundred A.D. With the latter being more in tune with the other clues left throughout the book. Okay. So. Given that, I would say we're close to 3,500. That feels right. Yeah. Like a thousand-ish years. So, no, Sophocles would not be alive today at that rate. Shame. That's taking that's taking Such completely outside information, but I was like, someone someone somewhere did an estimate on this somehow. So glad to glad to at least have that to rein it in. But yeah, Sophocles. I wanna I wanna apologize though for for actually spoiling something for you a little bit. That's all right. I figured. Does this mean I was right? This was part of a it was part of a Deadpool. No, no, it yeah. wasn't. It was part of a prediction. It was, I can tell you it was the Deadpool. Because it was something about Sophocles' children. Correct. And you asked I if, asked if you, clones count. I asked children. you if you you said something along the lines of like he was going to be survived by his children or something like that. And I asked, do clones count? I swear to God, I'm pulling it up right now. I swear that's in the Deadpool note because I wrote it because I was like, this is funny and specific. Do to do. I'm going to maybe prove myself wrong here, but we'll see. Uh, Uh, Do you want to resolve a Deadpool from last book then? Yes, here it is. You said do clones count? No. Okay, so here's here's what it is. So Sophocles dash alive has children in parentheses. Do clones count? You in bold? No, clones do not count. So what does that mean? Well, we don't know if that Sophocles is alive or dead. We know that this is the 21st Sophocles. You know what? I'll take one. (laughs) <laughs> I'll I'll resolve this. I'll take one. All right. All right. We've one more chapter. Cheers. Sorry about your fox. Sorry about the fox. There. I took more than you did now. Fappy. I am very happy. Because I think up until then, we were completely tied in the Deadpool from the last book that I thought True. we were completely done with. Good point. Good point that we are we are tied up. We were tied up, I should say. Now I win. <laughs> I always win in the end, especially when I plant the joke payoff uh, for <laughs> 600 pages later. Oh, my God. <laughs> With that, we move into the last chapter of the week. Chapter 24 from Ephraim's perspective, Kobachi's Tech Emporium. I, I have the habit. I had the dirty habit, especially throughout our notes of typing it as Kobachi, but it's Kobachi. Kobachi. I loved this. I love this chapter. I want to go to that place. This chapter is so cool. Each one of these opening paragraphs that he's opened up all three of these chapters since the part change with has been fantastic at creating a world. But I just can't get over the way that like he paints the low ground on Hyperion, right? Or on Luna in Hyperion. The Vox Populi seem to have an endless supply of paint is just so interesting when describing the graffiti or the messaging and everything else that they're sharing. It's funny. It's good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it it's great world building. And it, it really makes you wonder what exactly is Ephraim's allegiance. Does he have one? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like he doesn't, he doesn't seem to have any love for any type of government, which my kind of man, but <laughs> he he seems to honor whoever is holding his leash. And sometimes the leash is a job. Yep, he's kind of still like he he points out and makes fun of a lot of 
other colors for still doing what they were doing. But even the grays were explicitly treated as like dogs on a leash. And he still kind of behaves that way, even if he's not willing to admit it to himself. Yeah, he's doing it freelance, but it's still <laughs> the same shit. Still dependent on the almighty dollar. So or, you know, loon in this case. <laughs> The whole shop, the entirety of the Tech Emporium is so cool. The kids with the like VR plugins with like living like just absorbing the Internet without like ideas of what's going to happen to them in the future. The blue piloting call one of Callaway's runs when he was a pirate. Like there's just so much batshit crazy stuff in this this shop and it kind of feels like a pawn shop or something similar kind of seedy questionable goods lying about kobe kobachi himself is just batshit crazy mm-hmm. what do you think tell me your thoughts on the shop it's super cool almost like a an arcade in the back with a bunch of kids playing around it mm-hmm. there is a point where he mentions that there's a red playing the like telekinetic game or whatever and on the same sign as the no crows is no rusters and nobody seems to be giving him shit so i don't know about what's i don't know what's going on with that does seem to be does seem to be contradictory for sure i don't know if that was intentional or if it was just you know oversight I kind of feel like it was intentional to to be selective about who goes in and who goes out of the the shop and then even more specifically be pointing out that like, no, 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 an obsidian's just going to break things. And that's really what really what he's afraid of more than anything but, else. But he says the red's going to steal shit. Yeah, right. And there's right. a there's a red over there playing his game. But it's it's harder to see the red, you know, that's a good point. The obsidian is obvious, but the red, the red is small. Like a mouse. Like a mouse. <laughs> a All mouse right. in a mine filled with crazy poisonous snakes. You could have left it at mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. You caught me laughing while I was drinking some of this yeah, anagram here and it almost came out of my nose. <laughs> this this beer is really fucking good. It's so good. Ah, good. Good ones, F. Good work. Then we get to the fucking guns. And I remember all the way back in Red Rising when you're like, man, I just want a little bit more like meat on the bone. And I I was like, in, in terms of descriptions, and I was like, don't worry about it, bud. You're going to get it. You're going to get the fucking omnivore. A thousand pages guns. later. <laughs> you're going to you're going to get your claw drill. I know it's coming. Thanks. In the morning, sorry. Um, there, there's just some of it's like you got to get to the original trilogy to get to the sequel trilogy so you can love the fuck out of what's going on here. And holy God, do I just love the description of this gun in autonomous forge in the magazine metal goes in death comes out. Jeez. Yeah. Rail guns are super cool. I mean, I'm, is this, is it technically a rail gun? Yeah. They say it's a, I thought the widow maker was a railgun oh which one are you talking about so there's the Widowmaker, which is the r34 which he's pitched on at first and then he shows off the omnivore 540 oh no i, I think the omnivore oh is yeah a real yeah gun. it's a sem- semi-automatic railgun yep it does say that right there the r34 Widowmaker is an ion uses ion pellets wrist mounted eradicator yeah so many so many options yeah. but this is clearly his like go-to heist weapon dude you know I imagine this dude with like a really deep booming voice like, yes, welcome to my shop. But that is not how it comes across in the audiobook. <laughs> no, no. It really caught me off guard. It it does not come off that way, but it is. He does kind of have this like interesting combination of like boisterousness and senility to him. 
<laughs> that like I, I don't know what the combination is, but like the dude seems confused or like vaguely not with it <laughs> and at the same time very very there and aware of the things that he specifically cares about he is like a charismatic salesman type on top of that too though yeah. i didn't get any serility out of him in my read i got kind of s- slimy and yeah yeah putting on a front clearly most of this like shop is a front for his weapons arm like his arms dealing you know he reminded me of watu from phantom menace the dude who owns anakin and his mom shmi remind yeah. me of that hey yeah da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 exactly yeah, yeah right like exactly <laughs> that's kind of the voice i had in my in my mind yeah him. he's he's totally got that like gruff kind of smoker's perspective personality <laughs> bits I don't know. He just he reads that way to me. Speaking so, through I, three packs a day. <laughs> that's that's a good descriptor, PJ. You should write that one down. Mm, well, every once in a while, it. I'll come up. I'll come up with a metaphor like that, and I've got a fucking note card in my back pocket, and I'll scribble it down and be like, "That's brilliant." And I'll go back and read it later and be like, "What the fuck was I thinking?" <laughs> <laughs> Very frequent occurrence. Anyway, the final note of the entire chapter of the entire week is Ephraim asking how small he can make this giant flying murderous drone. Yeah, anything to like a neurotoxin that? that gets discreetly administered from a hidden compartment on its faceplate like this is this is some future shit i'm i'm down for it <laughs> ephraim's chapters are so wild <laughs> it's just such a good time yeah fair point fair <laughs> point anything else on this week any anything else to talk about no anything we ran through this pretty quickly <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was looking at the time and I was like, holy shit, we were really efficient today. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> Just yeah, we wild. It. I, did, I didn't write less, <laughs> which is good. And I feel like we also like contained ourselves well with tan. Like we did. We had good tangents. Um, we, we contained it all well. We had all the notes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Maybe some of it's maybe some of it's the um, the like full write up might might be a component because then it like, yeah. keeps us narrowed. Yeah. That's anyway. True. Regardless, we can reflect on that later. So we'll go into the final little bit here, which is PJ's predictions. Uh, We only have one and we're going to we're going to try to keep these kind of limited. Part of that is uh, I we we live, breathe this kind of team, no hype mode. And the predictions are kind of also anti team, no hype to some degree because they set expectations. But also lies to me about what's going to happen. So basically what P- what we're going to do from now on is kind of have PJ determine what's predicted. That way I don't create false expectations. So it's really going to be a, an idea of what's to come next from PJ's perspective more than kind of yeah. me just lobbing question grenades at you. I'll I know a lot of people do like grenade. a lot of people do like the predictions and I like having them also, but I, th- I think we're going to be a little bit more selective on what we put forward as a means of not when, when Crossland puts two specific of questions down, that's all I think about for the rest of the like reading for the next yes. chapter. So I, I want to be a little bit more open about what I'm thinking about and just kind of let the information come across. That said, these predictions will basically be this will be your zone to make predictions about what goes forward. Yeah. So basically the the changeover will be I'm not going to write it anymore. You will fill out your own predictions or thoughts. And what's we decided next. that right before we started recording. So we've only got one. But yes. So we only- going. <laughs> I'll have more going forward. 
we only have one. We've been toying around with it this entire season, uh, this entire book so far. So, you know, it's it's season. been kind of a well, uh, so Weird. to call this entire book series <laughs> a season, which I think is yeah. fair. Yeah, um, we've true. been toying around with the predictions as we've gone from book to book to book. So I think that this is probably the best format, but we continue to come up with new ideas. So who knows? Yep. <laughs> so the one prediction that we have this week, how far does Darrow get away and what are the consequences of what happened? So it's kind of a twofer, but I don't think he gets out of orbit. I think he gets shot down. Okay. And taken by the uh, by the Senate. Okay. And he'll uh, he'll face trial. Well, he'll 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 face trial, but that'll never happen because he'll be in a cell and he'll get broken out because all he has to do is like appeal to reason from anybody <laughs> who's ever like fought for him before. And they'll just kind of do what he says, like yeah. the gold and the red that died. <laughs> the only very the only two casualties other than Wolfgar were the people that were fighting for him. Very, very true. It's super funny. I, I could not agree more that the the sort of nature that's been built in him of being able to, to make a speech and convince people to join him just based on his ever flowing charisma is a ridiculous superpower, but pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's a funny plot component. That's can't, it, I mean, it's not actually funny. It's a pretty serious plot component, but it is so interesting because he is so able to just pull all of these people over because he is this symbol of inspiration for all of them and it's a big deal it's a big deal big Uh, fucking deal i guess i'm already gonna break our new prediction thing but i i want to ask because we kind of we kind of talked about it but do you think that the uh red and gray that lyria saw are anything serious or do you not yeah i think it is i think it's something really serious that will probably learn about from somebody else's perspective this is just kind of a nugget hidden from Lyria's perspective okay any any thoughts on what that could be <clears throat> i mean not that it matters i'm just curious obviously it's some elite fox kidnappers okay. they're going to, they're going to steal the declaration of sophocles the the original gene of sophocles like just <laughs> <laughs> the perhaps semen of sophocles if you will um that's not where i was going clone semen i don't know Hmm. Hmm. just gonna jerk off a fox anyway we're gonna end you took it you took it to this place i'm leaving myself out of it crossland what a fucking loser you are you know people do that to cows right gross crossland people do that to cow what people do anyway we're moving on all cows are female bulls you know what i mean <laughs> oh god <laughs> i can't stop laughing they take milk All right. like, <laughs> no they milk the cow <laughs> sometimes they steal it <laughs> Jesus Christ. what the fuck happened right here okay all right next week we're gonna read through chapter 29 this is the first time Pedro has read a next week because I'm laughing too hard. <laughs> Jesus. Join me right. in reading through chapter 29 and uh, <laughs> boxing Crossland out of his own show. <laughs> it's going to happen eventually. We're, we're hyper aware. When reading to chapter 29 in the hardcover, that is going through to put you chapter on page 29. Through chapter 29. That is going to put you on page 286. 286 that is a good number crossland do you know why why is that a good number because that is the end of chapter 29 (laughs) 
All right. So that's where we're going to end for the week, I guess. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, of course, to our producers, Tim and Andrew, for helping us keep the show lights on and keep us rolling in every way, shape and form. Also, check out our new schedule at wordsandwhiskey.show forward slash schedule. Definitely message us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Talk with us on Twitter. Email us. Sign up for our newsletter. We're going to have shit actually coming out there, which is going to be a lot of fun where we we have a very big mid-May to early July planned. So it is going to be very, very busy in case you haven't. If you go and look at the schedule, you can actually see what is going on in July. I believe that is July. It is the episode that I'm thinking about comes out in July. So that is that is what I'm referencing. So you can go check it that out. Specifically, it comes out on July 8th, if you're curious. But that episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're very excited for that or those guests, perhaps. You can go look at that and everything else on our website. You can check out our drinks, of which I'm going to be mass uploading my drinks for literally 16 episodes because I've gone through and cataloged them all now. Uh, <laughs> I just have to match up the photos. So I have to get going to be a massive pour down there. But PJ's kept up with all of his across the episodes. So you can check out all of his drinks there. I'm a couple weeks behind. But yeah, I've, I've definitely kept up longer than way better than i have (laughs) i am i am still back in golden sun i think oh god you give me shit for not posting stuff i do all i do so much other shit (laughs) i just have not (laughs) caught up with the drinks because my camera sucked i bought a camera and then i i've used the camera to take photos but i've not taken them any any i've not taken any of them off the camera so whoopsie daisies but like i said follow us on social media words and whiskey pod instagram twitter leave us a review on words whiskey pod words whiskey pod words whiskey pod words whiskey pod on twitter and instagram leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you can if that's your preferred platform i know that a hundred of you suckers listen to us on apple Podcasts, and there are only 17 reviews what are the rest of you doing <laughs> that's a pretty good ratio i'm not gonna lie <laughs> it's a pretty decent ratio yeah there's of those 17 reviews of which by the way itunes is one of our lowest used platforms but it is one of the most important for everything else so if you have an iphone and you have an itunes account it would it would mean the world to us to leave us a review because it does influence the way that we get referenced and referred for instance we should probably be linked up in our suggestions with howler pod and it only gets that specific if we see those cross sections interact and leave those reviews and and hail reaper for that matter um those those cross sections only appear if people from both podcasts leave and so it becomes a suggestion and it becomes a network that way so Mm -hmm. it it is really important to help us grow help us gain um following traction there and kind of our natural marketing so if you can definitely do otherwise we'll see you next week goodbye everybody goodbye